0: Hello, this is Brian Carney, your host of the Developing Founders podcast. Uh, this is episode six, and I'm really excited to to share this episode with you. I'll be pretty brief in the introduction. It's a little bit longer than our typical episode, but I think you will enjoy it. The journey of this entrepreneur from an upper middle class family down to losing everything and having to live... Uh, in the villages back to starting a really cool startup is one of the more inspiring startup journeys I've heard in a long time. And I think you'll agree. So without any further introductions, let's just dive into the interview. Joseph Ruta-Kangwa is the founder and CEO of Rawazi, a company providing organizations with on-ground data on products, services, and consumer activities from Africa. He believes in gig work as the most effective way to combat poverty in Africa. Well, Joseph, welcome to the show today. Uh, Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. I'm excited about the show. I'm going to... Enjoy digging into your entrepreneurial background and a little bit about Ruazi. Uh, I like that idea. Um, awesome, excellent. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be here too. Perfect.
0: Well, I guess I just kind of want to start with Ruazi. What What was your idea behind that? How did that come up? Um, and then
1: tell us a little bit about where you're at. All right. Um, so okay. So how far back do you want me to go? Because I can. I can. You know, like to map it correctly, I would usually go back 10 years, like 2010. Perfect. And then map it from Perfect. there. Perfect. Okay. We've got time. <laughs> All right. All right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, um, 2010, I finished my exchange year in the United States. So, it's part of a program called Youth Exchange and Study Program, um, where, um, you know, take uh, students, you know, like top performing students from countries which have, you know, almost equal populations of Muslims and Christians. To the u.s um to study in high school right so yeah. i was I, I lived in iowa it's a beautiful host family hmm. there you know nice school everything was nice so finished my yeah. exchange year in 2010 um and went back to tanzania and finished high school there too in the same year and after high school i had a lot of um a lot of scholarships uh, like merits uh, you know scholarships full tuition scholarships to study in the us in the uk and, and australia but I could not, you know, my mom could not afford, you know, the rest of the expenses. Right. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to study, you know, to go to university in Tanzania. So, you know, I was like, okay, let me just, you know, start a business. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, okay, before starting business, I'd say to, to get some work because I, I was very good in graphic design and video production the likes. So I tried okay. to get work. That was difficult because everyone wanted me to have a degree and the likes. So I was like, okay, um, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'll start a business. So I started a business uh, in my first business that was uh, graphic design and video production. I was doing, um, you know, I was, I was making logos and then posters for charts. So, you know, church logos, posters for the like, mm-hmm. crusades and the likes. I was making videos, you know, like wedding videos and and so forth. Yeah. However, you know, a couple of months down the line, we um, we had an issue with uh, payments where people, um, you know, like it's, it's a very, um, it's, it's a, Dangerous thing where, you know, countries they have different perceptions of value. So Mm -hmm. in in Tanzania, um people tend not to value certain things very highly. So they didn't value uh, you know, that kind of work that much. So it wasn't profitable Mm -hmm. and it, it didn't make sense. So I had to, you know, stop it. And after I did that, I was like, okay, um, what are my options? Couldn't get work, business wasn't viable, so I decided to get into volunteering, right? And okay. so I started uh, doing projects, volunteering projects, and eventually I started volunteering, you know, with the with the UN. Um, the UN has a youth arm, so I was volunteering with that arm. So uh-huh. created, you know, community development uh, uh, community development projects. My focus was primarily with uh, creating projects that um, that generate uh, employment for, for young people. So these were basically projects mm-hmm. where we'd go to a village. Um, you know ch- village where challenge would be like uh, accessibility to water and then would you know finance mm-hmm. the the creation of a, of a well or pump and then through that well parents would donate um, land for young people to, to cultivate let's say fruits and vegetables and then sell to the market. Mm-hmm. So jobs would be created that way. so that went mm-hmm. well. A couple of years down the line, um, I saw the you know repeating problem which was sustaining projects so people, so the the downside of using the, the NGO style was people are now be, uh like dependent on the aid um side of it, and yeah. you know so they 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 didn't have if you don't approach it with a capital mindset like a capitalistic mindset, then the capital is not then reinvested in the in the businesses, and therefore businesses can't generate other smaller businesses uh down the line, so you know some projects ended up fading. You know, with time. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. then I came to a realization that the uh, creating jobs uh, and and you know lifting uh, people from poverty, the most effective way of doing that is um, by you know uh, funding small businesses and creating small businesses. Yeah. So I left that world. Um, I had gotten an opportunity to. Um, I was sponsored by the U.S. State uh, Department. To go to <laughs> lehigh university lehigh university in pennsylvania had a program called the global village for future leaders of business and industry so i mm-hmm. went through that program it's an amazing program i have never been through any program better than that one it's amazing people <laughs> from you know there were like fifty thousand applicants and only 107 that year were selected and that was one of them wow. um yeah it was amazing we're only four africans and mm. and you know that in that program that was the first my first true introduction to the business world you know got to visit, yeah. you know the new york stock exchange uh, the world bank <laughs> and all those nice places <laughs> talk to you know huge um investors and you know was introduced to the yeah. you know venture capital world and all that and my mind was like blown away right so yeah. when i when i went back to tanzania i decided to um you know to start a, bus- a business a new business so i ventured into agriculture um and so I was doing two things at the same time. I was doing my side businesses and I was doing consulting projects for multinationals. So I'll get to consulting. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll talk to you about both of them. Um, um, but they yeah. were just um, not that they were going on at the same time. So on the business side, I, I ventured into agriculture and all of my agricultural projects failed <laughs> miserably. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the reason, the reason they failed is, is, you know, there's so many factors, but they all come down to, Access to steady capital um, and then access uh-huh. to like um, good talent and also okay. security, right? So, um, you know, we had uh, rice farming and the problem is, you know, in Tanzania, you have that issue with the Maasai and the farmers. So the Maasai, uh, you know, they have like huge heads okay. of cattle, and they, you know, just graze through farms and, you know, yeah. th- those guys are very wealthy. So it's difficult to co- contest in court um so you know i i did maize farming uh, rice farming i ventured into some you know sunflower for oil but they all failed you know maize farming wasn't profitable um yeah so agriculture is just a headache like in agriculture what did
0: you do what did you do with those were they companies in that or was it actually farming maize or what was the what did yes. the company look like
1: so so it wasn't okay so it wasn't a incorporated company it was a uh-huh. Personal business. So the way you, oh, yeah. we built it is, I would get together with my friends, and then we would put together some cash, and then hire uh-huh. people, and then you know rent out farms. I, oh, yeah. I, I bought I bought farms for the maize. I bought my, my own farms for the for, for rice. We had to rent out farms in the area where rice oh, wow. was was grown. And then you know yeah. you 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 rent out a farm. You rent out a farm has like a small cottage, like a small house for for a security yeah. guard, and then you rent out people in that village. To you know, to go to do the the manual work, then you have someone yeah. who oversees the the whole operation. But all of this is done um, is done without you know like formal incorporation and going through that because oh, yeah. to do the formal incorporation stuff, it's after you've verified the business, like after maybe the business has run for like three years, then you incorporate yeah. it, then you formalize everything, right? So yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was the that was the setup. So the 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 <laughs> may the rice. The problem with rice was was security because of the uh, Maasai, you know, cattle and the likes. The maize mm. um, was the it's difficult to balance. It's difficult to make profits because of the seasons and then the the prices at the at the markets and and all yeah. of that and you know the transport, warehousing and all that stuff. It doesn't quite right. um, come to a balance. And people who do it for many years, they make profits like you know one out of ten years. Um, unless right. you're unless you're a large scale farmer and then you convert that into like maize flour and all that and make bread, then right. it makes sense. But otherwise, if you're like a small farmer who is selling to um to to big to big manufacturers, it doesn't yeah. really make any sense. So I had to exit that. I made huge losses, by the way, like massive colossal <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> losses. And you know, up, up, by the conclusion of all those losses, I just fell into a massive um de- depression you know for like a year right <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was through this period where i was just reevaluating everything my positions and my strategies and how i was approaching um business and life and all that so so many things at once and and you know then i, I got an opportunity now um which was you know I, I you know sequence of events where i got a book um, think and grow rich which is my favorite book of yeah. all time um mm-hmm. my uncle sent me that book um, and then I read it immediately immediately after I read it I got an offer uh, by some company to go teach English in Cambodia. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> i never wanted to teach but i was so squeezed i was, I was at a corner so i was like you know what maybe i could consider <laughs> going to because yeah. like food was covered <laughs> transport was covered accommodation was covered and some you know some wow. reasonable salary so i was like you know what i might as well go to cambodia and chill for, for a couple of years um yeah. and then a week after i got um another opportunity uh, for a corporate sponsorship to study um in university remember that was like Five years down the line, I had never gone mm-hmm. to college, I was just busy with business and volunteering and the likes. Yeah. So yeah, so I I eventually took the corporate sponsorship. I went to university. Then my uh um then you know my life stabilized, then I could focus again, right? Yeah. Now with the with the work world, I was consulting, I was doing independent I was an independent consultant to multinationals, um, which expanded to Africa. So you know, uh, companies in the transport industry, energy industry, healthcare, and the likes. Now, my biggest problem in that, you know, in that work was we couldn't find data from from African countries. So, you know, you could easily mm-hmm. find data if in Europe, you could easily find that in the US, in Canada, in Australia, Japan, but you couldn't find data in in Africa, and it was very frustrating. And because you end up making most of the decisions based on intuition. Or based mm-hmm. on benchmarking everything on on US or Europe, which is so far off um, compared to Africa, yeah. and making you know big mistakes. So then um, I I met Eric. I had met Eric now um, during the uh, my university time, and we mm-hmm. decided to make um, you know like a data portal uh, where people you know comp- would harvest data on our own, and companies would come and buy that data. Hmm. Um, but then it didn't. It wasn't feasible because then how do you know what data is in demand? Um, how do you harvest that mm-hmm. data? And, you know, okay. there are so many pieces which weren't coming together, right? So then it started evolving to, okay, so then the problem is actually collecting the data, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, wh- what if, okay, collecting the data shouldn't be a problem because Africa has right now it has like 220 million people <laughs> who don't have jobs, right? So we can okay. hire those guys, they can collect the data, and and then we can sell it. And then we did. So we started hiring groups. So we create teams in countries. So we started with Uganda and Tanzania. Create a team. People would move around. We pay them, the, you know, like money for airtime, um, internet, yeah, um, you know, transport and the likes. And they would collect the data. But then still, huh. the problem became how do you um how do you counter the the issue of speed? Because if you have a team, if you have a team in in in, mm-hmm. you know, in Entebbe, in Uganda, and the mm-hmm. data that's needed, is in, um, in, in Kampala or in Kasese mm-hmm. or somewhere else, how do you mm-hmm. then, uh, make sure that you can harvest that data immediately? So then mm-hmm. that brought in the issue of, okay, so we would now need to employ another system, which would be, which would look like a network, right? Mm-hmm. Let's look at different people using a mobile application to get a notification and then move to a location and harvest the data. So that's yeah. how, you know, and then of course, there's a million things in between that happens, you know, you know, iteration, you keep changing, you keep facing charges right. and, and <laughs> iterating and, and improving the product. So we ended up with a system that we have now, which is, we utilize the network right now, we have a network of 5,000 plus mappers, we call them mappers who are mm-hmm. data collectors uh, spread across 40 countries in sub-Saharan Africa. And mm-hmm. and companies, now companies place orders on what data they want. Um, and after they place orders, then these mappers get notifications. They harvest the data. The data is verified. Huh. The way it's verified mm-hmm. is, um, you know, let's say um, the, ma- the mapper is collecting data from, from a retail outlet. Um, they would walk in a retail outlet, collect the data, walk out... Someone else will get a notification to do the exact same thing. And then the data will be cross-checked. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's a household, the same thing. If it's a farm, so we do, you know, we do mapping in, in the agricultural industry, finance industry, mm-hmm. you know, consumer products and so forth. Then companies get an interactive map, yeah. which shows them, you know, where all those locations are, the, the different paths to, to the locations for their sales teams or dev, uh, business development teams or, you know, marketing teams to actually move on the ground or delivery teams and so forth. Um, Yeah, so that's basically how we work. A company makes an order, organization uh, makes an order. Um, The mappers get the notification. They harvest the data. The data is verified. Mm -hmm. The companies get the analytics and insights and interactive map to move on the ground and and perform. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's basically a very you know, very short line on how we ended up with, with Rwazi so far.
0: Yeah. Yes. Wow. That is a really, really cool um, company right That's now. What does your typical client look like? Is it multinationals coming from Europe uh, that are coming into Africa? Is it African companies that are trying to expand into other Countries, what's what's kind of the breakdown there?
1: Yeah, so our typical clients are multinationals um, coming into Africa, so that's like tier uh-huh. one. Uh, so companies based in the okay. US and companies based in Europe coming into uh-huh. Africa, expanding into Africa. That's that's tier one. Uh-huh. Uh, tier two is startups expanding into Africa, right? Um, so still startups based outside Africa, right? So US yeah. and 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 Europe coming yeah. into Africa. So, so you have startups and SMEs in that same group. And Hmm. then tier three, you have, you know, uh, African uh, companies, which, which wants to expand through other, you know, other countries, but these are not typical African companies. They're African, uh, either companies which are leaning towards tech or startups. Mm -hmm. They're not traditional Hmm. conglomerates, right? So it's, uh, you know, tech tech companies or or startups, which are based in Africa and they're expanding into, Hmm. into other countries in Africa. And then after that, you have yeah. NGOs uh, and government agencies. And then lastly, you have the normal companies. The reason is, um, so, yeah, so we had so many surprises, right? So we had a lot of yeah. surprises, as you can imagine. Um, initially, when we when we started, our idea was, okay, so I, I had done consulting for MaterNational. So I knew there's a need there, right? But mm-hmm. I understood that it would be like a longer, you know, um, um, sales process, because, yeah. you know, it's a, it's, a, oh, yeah. it's a massive company and then I'm a startup and then it'll take long. I don't know. So I was like, okay, you know what? Let, yeah. me, I, I'm, let me just target companies which are living with the problem itself, right? So an African mm. company would 100% understand the problem and wouldn't be difficult to, um, you know, like to get on board and then run with it. Yeah. But the surprise was most companies in Africa are actually not looking to expand right so they don't have yes so they don't have this they don't have this um approach of growth you know like excessive growth you know like how u.s companies are like oh it's all about growth growth growth
0: right right
1: many companies in africa are looking for stability first and then maintain that stability Mm. as long as they can right so you find a company they Hmm. have resources right they have resources they're doing very Uh well in a country but uh-huh. they're reluctant to step into another country, even if they don't have competition in in a neighboring country, or so, or, so, or like a, you know, like a country a <laughs> couple thousand mm-hmm. miles away. They they're reluctant. They're reluctant of you know depleting resources and so forth, right? And the layer, the secondary layer to that is that perhaps because they they don't have quick access to capital for expansion, right? So you know mm. most uh, expansion um you know activities are run with external capital, so maybe you're stable as a company in your market, but then to expand to an external market, maybe you need to raise funds right and yeah. if if you can't raise funds, the logic is um I mean, do you really want to risk the limited funds that you have on expansion right like, do you want to bet all of it on right. expansion really um so then that right. becomes a problem, so they they go for security. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yes. That makes sense. Yes.
1: So now what we did, so we we it, it it took us like a year to figure that out. It was a whole year, mm-hmm. <laughs> a whole year mm-hmm. of pitching and, and and trying to get sales, only to find <laughs> out that these guys, yes, they understand the problem. The problem affects them, but as as soon as they 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 reach, you know, that you know comfortable position where you're okay in the market, maybe you're like fifth um in the market. Um, you have comfortable market share, you make good sales, you make, you know, reasonable profits. Hmm. They want to stay there. So after we realized that we're like, okay, so why not try out to see what would happen um, if we, and then um, on the same, on the same, um, at the same time we had, um, we had different, because I like talking to advisors and, you know, people to discuss, you know, what do I think? What's the best approach? And then most advisors uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, had thought that, do we want to spread ourselves thin? Like, do we want to just explode and go to so many countries at the same time? You know. So yeah. the, the the idea was, mm. let's just start in a you know in a small place. Let's say in 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 East Africa. Let's say in one yeah. two countries, and then after five years, after three years, we would start expanding, mm-hmm. right? Or after raising mm-hmm. funds, would start expanding now.
0: Right.
1: If and then so and, and the other challenge was if you can't get customers in your own country, it like why would you think you'd get customers outside your own country, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> which <laughs>
1: which sense. sounds, yeah, which sounds, which sounds like a reasonable, you know, reasonable argument. However, when I get huh. squeezed, you know, like my personality is when I get squeezed, I just I just go full throttle, right? I just explore because yeah. I, I I can't accept uh like I, I tend not to want to accept. The, the limited options that are on the table so it's like okay look yeah maybe the the people who are in my in close proximity to my business aren't my mm-hmm. customers right if my customer is is a is a person who wants expansion um um you know like um, understands fast growth understands mm-hmm. the, the power of, of of eating more market share by the day and these people don't have don't like this people do not have that profile don't fit in that profile that means these are not my yeah. customers right so yeah. then i decided with eric my, my partner to just start um pitching to companies um outside huh. um outside our you know our close proximities and we did we did get customers it was fast wow. you know the sales process is faster um and yeah so they ended up huh. toppling and being our, our dominant um customers and now we've, we've chosen not to, uh, because, of course, we're a startup and we, we, we're very, um, you know, uh, we're very, uh, I don't know, careful when it comes to how we mm-hmm. spend our resources. We spend mm-hmm. most of our resources with, the, the, you know, the quickest um, prospects to convert, right? Which yeah. are yeah. people in those countries, in the US and, and Europe. Um, right. You know, quickest to quickest convert and the ones who bring the most lifetime value. Um, yeah yeah so yeah so that has been our approach and we're happy for it we mm-hmm. know that for a fact african businesses will come on board you know um in the years to come let's say you know one yeah. two three four five years of course they'll come on board but they aren't early adapters
0: yeah yeah that makes sense you you go after the low-hanging fruit first yes. and then yes. once uh, yes once the company's growing other people will will uh-huh. jump on board um Huh, that That's interesting. So a, a lot of what I'm hearing uh, talks, it sounds like you have kind of always been very driven. Is there something early in your life that really helps that you think is a, a big factor into why you are so driven to succeed and to, to help people? What's what does that look like? Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So this goes back all the way to um. Okay. So so I'm I'm um right now I can say unfortunate, but you know when it was happening I didn't see it as a you know as a i saw it as a misfortune, right? So I mm-hmm. I I grew up in a comfortable life, right? Mm-hmm. So I had um you know I had access to a computer, you know back in the nineties, where. You know, I, my first time to see Yahoo was, um, was 1997. So I was five hmm. and, you know, I was browsing the internet at five and six and seven. So imagine this is in Tanzania in the nineties. So if mm. you're browsing, if you have a computer and you're browsing the internet in Tanzania the nineties, right. that's like, you know, you've made it, right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and you know, we had, you know, I grew up with a library in the house with a laboratory in the house, oh. Um, yeah. so I was, I was very, and you know, my mom was my first teacher, we were homeschooled in the mm-hmm, early mm-hmm, days. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, I had, so, and I loved to learn back then, you know, when you grow up with, with, with books, we didn't, uh, so my, my, yeah. my parents were those parents who don't allow kids to watch TV and, and, <laughs> and you, you, we could yeah. only, we could only watch TV if we get, so you do exercises in the morning and then you have to get like, uh, eight out of 10 to, to watch cartoons, you know, <laughs> cartoon. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't, you have to do your corrections and all that until you get eight out of 10. So that was know. the life. So, um, so mostly, you know, without TV, would just spend time in books. So we had, you know, a whole catalog yeah. of encyclopedia, whole catalog of great books, and then child books like childcraft and the likes. So I had a lot of books, right? So I used to read a lot with my older brother and, and, mm. and my siblings so um and then later on um i went to uganda so you know like uh with homeschool kids um it's good in the beginning and then later on the kids tend to feel like they're, they're in, uh, like in, in a sort of a prison so we wanted to get out and my parents took us to uganda to a boarding school a preparatory school in in uganda so i went to uganda yes. it was a very nice experience you know i learned luganda so that was my fourth language a very nice experience However, yeah. um, down the line, uh, my my dad got bankrupt, so we lost all, mm-hmm. of, that, um, all mm-hmm. of that, all of that, all those goodies, right? All of that just vanished. And yeah. at ten, at you know, at 10, at nine years old, I found myself in a village. Um, you know, with and you know, like hmm. there's one thing uh, that I came to understand that you know, like there's there's being there's being born poor. And then there's mm-hmm. there's finding yourself in poverty when you you didn't mm-hmm. come from poverty. That's even worse because you know what yeah. the other side looks like. You know, like people who yeah. are people who are in poverty. It's not true that people who are in poverty are cool. You know how some people say, "Have you seen those kids in Africa? You know, they look happy. I think they're fine. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they're not fine. But because that's that's where they were born." It's difficult for them to 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 like to put themselves in in another life, like to plug themselves in another social yeah. class. So they kind of have a mechanism of of finding their life bearable, right? Mm-hmm. But then I was mm-hmm. I had a different experience because I came from this life of having access to internet and all this stuff, all the way to heading cattle. So I was, a, I was a village boy. I was heading cattle. Wow. Um, I was eating mangoes for lunch <laughs> wow. and I was depressed. So that was the lowest at 2002 was the lowest yeah. point in my whole life. And I will never go lower than that point. And hmm. so I was 10. So I was heading Kato as a village boy and so for fighting snakes and all that stuff. You know, when you go to head Kato, you wow. find so many things out there in, in, the, in the wilderness. And the only thing that kept me sane was my was my imagination right because hmm. i had seen i had lived a good life and i was so pissed that that life was taken away from me and i was so angry at, the, at, at that point i was so full of rage yeah and i swore to the ground of that place you know it's like a it's a it's a region just below uganda so where you were like if you just go okay. below that region that's that's in between uh, rwanda and uganda so that region right there that's okay I, I swore to that ground that if when i leave that ground will never see me will never even see my dead body that's how <laughs> pissed I was uh-huh. and and that ground to me represents poverty extreme poverty so yeah so that expense was brutal huh. uh, you know had days you know living in a in a house made of mud and then you know, like some nights, you know, the, the wall would melt, you know, it would rain, then the wall mm. would melt. You we'll mm-hmm. have to like wake up and stand on the corner <laughs> and stand on the corner and and wait for, for the morning and then would we'll start to make mud and build the wall from from, from scratch mm. again. It was a brutal experience, like it's it's not a joke, right? So when I left that place, so my mom also went to the same once you know my mom is now a grown up, so her expense was even worse because she she you know she had wanted us to live a secure life and have a certain future and see all of yeah. it just slip through our hands like she almost went mad right so she worked hard she took us out of that place right so and then my but my dad and mom separated so it was just up to her and four kids so we we got out of that life and went through we crowds. like that's why I like movies so a movie you know like like an idea of what we did was crow like in in uh, so Shank Redemption, how that okay. guy crawled <laughs> through that pile <laughs> to freedom. That's how hard right. life was in the years after that. So we had to get like one room. Um, and one room in Tanzania means like one room. Like there's no kitchen or yeah. bedroom, just one square. And you have a kitchen and everything yeah. right in there. Oof, so it was a long, long journey. My mom was earning five dollars a month and all that. So it was, it was brutal, right? So that's when I developed. I I I went from being a being a spoiled kid to being a super self motivated, extreme, extremely determined kid. Right. So I, was, yeah. I excelled in school. I over excelled in school. So in school, my my hmm. thing was: I'm not going to just be number one. My scores hmm. have to be. A total score of number two number three and number four like have to beat them so hard <laughs> like crush yeah. them so hard <laughs> so that was my attitude right so i had a very so, so so i wanted it was like it's like if you fall you want to get up with so much force that you won't be yeah. you won't be uh, you won't fall again or you won't get back to that um to that kind of life so that drove me for years and years and years and years and years and my imagination um was 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 big and then with life, you know, still the unfortunate thing is, still after having all, uh, after having gone through all of that, still life has the has the audacity to still crush you in between your <laughs> journey to freedom. Like, come on, um. So, <laughs> so I was crushed so many times. And the the crushing part is when you know our imagination doesn't fit with reality, and reality tries mm-hmm. to tries to force us to bend. And if you're stubborn like me, I'm very, very stubborn um, by nature. And, <laughs> and then you'd have that crash, and you'd be crushed. <laughs> right. And I used to use force. And that's why uh, then I was fortunate Um, in between my struggles, I was fortunate to now go to the U.S. The point uh, to go to the U.S., I was, I was like top in the region. And then these guys from from the State Department came, you know, they did interviews for like all top students in all those schools and then i topped all yeah. of them and then you know was selected uh went nice experience and i thought that was it i was i thought that was my breakthrough and then it yeah. wasn't i went all the way from there <laughs> to <whoop>! <laughs> 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 huh. and you, ca- you can't imagine you cannot imagine how how confused like how mentally dangerous it is to take someone from those conditions take them all the way to beautiful conditions that you find in the u.s so in the u.s i came mm-hmm. beautiful school you know i would get like 113 mm-hmm. like past 100 you know like there's no limits. <laughs> yeah like it's, it's fine right. you know i i excelled i you know uh like my my the the thespian uh the arts no the theater um coach you know it was like oh it was like teach like people in this is why i like like i and i tell people in 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 developing countries i I tell them, like, if you want, it's easier to become successful by Im- imitating what successful people do, or their tendencies. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you find that the, ten- the tendencies in, in African schools, because everyone is depressed, everyone is just disappointed at life. So, there's so much negativity towards mm-hmm. the kids also. So, I would, you know, you have a point, like, I would mm-hmm. get I would get like 100, and the teacher would just give me like 87. Like, you don't why would you need 100? 87 is enough. You know, it's like, it's like you're adding a ceiling. My life is already difficult and you're just adding on it. And you right. you compare that with my experience in the US where teachers would just encourage, you know? And they would add on it. Like, <laughs> okay, oh, you can do this. They just add more, add more, you know? So I ended up, you know, yeah. in, in the theater. That was a beautiful experience and all those ex- nice experiences. Then went all the way back to square one, right? As if nothing mm-hmm. happened. And I had to crawl back from there. So I've had to crawl back from uh like from zero so many times that I've developed like mechanisms now. Like I, because I map I look back and you map how you react and how you perform, like which mm-hmm. method performs well. So mm-hmm. I've been able to map if, if this happens, what's the best method to first stabilize myself mentally and emotionally? Second, you know, um go through, you know, written processes. To get back to yeah. to you know to like the ground level and then start lifting myself back up, so uh, I huh. I so through that you know you develop extreme self motivation and self motivation is basically so the way I look at it is, the problems I'm solving, are personal yeah. problems are personal problems right so I um so um, I'm solving one I want to build wealth so that's a personal thing, two I mm-hmm. want to build wealth in a way that. As in my path of building wealth, I'm leaving gold in the path. And the, mm. the the gold is creating jobs. Because I was a victim of joblessness and non having oh. having um zero opportunities of working at McDonald's and Walmart. Like I, I usually yeah. laugh, I usually laugh when people in, in the States are like, oh man, I'm stuck at Walmart or Or, you know, or Applebee's for years. I'm like, come on, Do you know how lucky you are to even have uh, a job at Walmart, (laughs) Right. (laughs) you know? In in Tanzania or in in most African countries, you either have an office job or Uh you have a manual job, like you're actually crushing stones, you know? Or you're just at home and jobless, right? Being being a burden to your parents. So I was a victim of that, right? So I didn't want, Hmm. um, I don't want that. I want to reduce as many, Unemployed people as possible. So the way I found that's effective on doing that is creating gigs, because people talk about creating jobs, but creating permanent normal employment job, you know, like uh, normal uh, employment with all the benefits and healthcare and all that, it doesn't work because you have two problems, right? The, the first problem is, the the people who are jobless, are not quite skilled to fit in these tra- the office jobs, right? And The skill right. part. The skill part is not the technical part. The skill part is the what people call soft skills, right? So they're not they're not punctual, they don't have uh, they don't take initiative, um, they they are not uh, they're not content. I know that's a problem. Um, you like I mean reality says like, reality has forced it. You need to be sort of content with a, you know two hundred fifty dollars salary, five hundred dollars salary. You know you need to be content, right? And mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're not self motivated. So if, if this is lacking, you can have a mechanical engineering degree or chemical engineering degree all you want, but if you can't take initiative and you're not self-motivated, then it's difficult to fit in this job. Right. Um, so that's one problem because as much as we have, we have far more unemployed people and far more unemployed people per year than jobs created. So that is the problem. However. Hmm. We still have vacant jobs, like vacant positions in 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 uh-huh. the in the formal sector, that aren't filled, even though we have far more uh, unemployment uh, numbers. And the reason these yeah. vacant jobs aren't filled is because these guys do not want the the smallest terrible deal that you can find. So I'll give you an example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you find that. Maybe, maybe um, um, this is not across. I'm not saying everyone is like that, but right. it's it, right. it's most of the time, right? So you 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 can you can have, uh, you can call for for you know applications or you okay mm-hmm. I can ask my friends. Oh man, you don't have a job? What's up? What's happening? Hey, eh, you know I've finished. It's now three years. I still looking for jobs. I can't find a job. Cool, I found a job. It's a one year contract pays they say a thousand dollars they say it's a it's a it's a nice company they pay a thousand dollars for one year and you know work 12 hours a day etc 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 the person would say one year isn't security because what would happen after a year so i don't i won't feel you mm-hmm. know it's, like, it's not like a permanent job so it's not a safe job yeah wait so you'd rather yeah. stay at home than take a one year job are you serious right you no know? the second huh. part the second part is yes there's a one-year job the guy likes it. The the other argument is it's private sector they're very demanding, so mm-hmm. I'd rather get a job in the public sector where things are a bit you know a bit kind of shallow, right? Which means not having access to to an income and all that is not that much of a problem if if you can pick and choose, right? And the other layer is maybe maybe you you want a job yes you're cool with working hard etc cetera, etc cetera, but you're not punctual you don't take initiative. And so forth. The the, the other fourth problem is I usually say if you're if you're in a developing country, unfortunately, to get a job, or or this also applies to companies. But let's focus on jobs first. To get a job, you need to apply to a thousand companies, a thousand. So your chance is zero point one percent. So to say, for you to take a break and say, you know what, I've hustled so much, I didn't get anywhere. Let me just chill and re strategize. You need to have applied to 1,000 offices, like 1,000 offices. That's when you can say, okay, if you get z- no's from 1,000 places, you need to sit down, re-strategize, and go back, like change your, change your style, change everything, change your approach, and go back to work 1,000 more. <laughs> like for me, for me to get corpor- the corporate sponsorship right. to university, it took me five years and 400, wow. 400 applications. Wow. On, and this is full on applications with all the essays and the interviews and all that stuff. 400 wow. to get one, right? For me to get um, <laughs> to uh, pre seed, so we raised pre seed last year. To get pre seed, mm-hmm. it took us um, three years and mm-hmm. 200 and yeah, like something like 250 investors so wow. 250 investors and this is a full-on uh, i'm not counting people you reach out to and they don't respond people until your right. people who are who are interested and you get on a call you send documents uh, 250 yeah. wow that's when you get one and that's pre-seed <laughs> wow uh, so i mean it's, it's harder it's, it's much harder so yeah mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know so people on both ends both ends um need to pull so that's why my stance is look uh, People, some people will get office jobs, but that's not sustainable. It won't absorb everyone who is jobless. Right. So gig, right. Gig work, gig work works. The way it works yeah. is, you don't want to to get on an office at 8 a.m. It's fine. You can take on the gig mm-hmm. at 10 10 a.m. Anytime you want. Anytime you're free. Right. Any day you feel yourself. How much money you want to make per month depends on how much you want to make. Like how much money you make depends on how much you want to make. Right. So yeah. I have mappers. I have mappers who make up to five hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. And I have mappers who mm-hmm. make like five dollars a month, and they're mm-hmm. all the same mappers. They all have access to the same opportunities. It's just as, yeah. it's just that the ones who make five hundred dollars a month are always on it, always hardworking. You call them for any gig, they're on it. They work hard. The ones who are five dollars yeah. sometimes they, they don't feel it. Sometimes they, you know they have you know other you know uh, things I don't know um, to work on. So yeah, so huh. with gig work at least I want to make yeah. sure. That the people who are hardworking, are ambitious, they have dreams, those guys will get jobs. Like those guys will get yeah. work, they'll make money, and they can use that money to build businesses, they can use that money to do something else right. and, and build their lives. Right. And you know, the other guys who are not there yet, I mean, what can I do?
0: Yeah. 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 Wow, that's that's really interesting. So I guess one, one question that I was wondering about is with your background and your level of thinking and your degrees, you could probably go into a multinational that has a wing in Tanzania or in Uganda or wherever you wanted to go. And that would be a lot easier. It would be short term, a lot more financially lucrative. So what is it about startups that makes you keep trying even though it is so difficult to to have a startup that works? Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, so that's true. That's true. I got a lot of beautiful uh job offers, right? However, the problem is, okay, so if if I if I I do self-reflection and and assess my life and the surroundings and so forth. Now, yeah. In in my case, and which is the case, you know, so many Africans relate to this case, I got to where I am because so many people sacrificed. They shared their income with my mom to feed us, to take us to school. So my uncles and aunts um, paid for school tuition, paid for, you know, bought us shoes, a school uniform, you know, gave yes. us places to live for years, for like more than a decade, Right um so i was uh, so i got here because those guys made sacrifices and it's not that they they had a lot they were all employees right but yeah um they distributed the income so like the thing in the i'll give you just uh, a a picture of how it works (laughs) they we call it the the (laughs) the african tax right so how it works is you're from so my mom is uh, so okay so you're from my mom is from like has like 10 siblings so you're from Mm -hmm. that family you get a degree you have to now. You, you, after you get a degree, major their generation is better because they got jobs immediately after school. So after you get a job, okay. you finish your degree, you get a job, then you start to take care of your siblings, right? Take care of siblings. You, you take them, you buy them books and and, and stuff, and you know mm-hmm. take them through school. They all get jobs. Once mm-hmm. they all get jobs, you get married. Um, hopefully you marry someone who also works. They're also in place, so you start generating income immediately after you get married. Then you have your 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 sister's son who finished and didn't pass and is now looking for a job or something then you have to bring them in you know you have your cousin you have your like your niece uh, who is this and that and you have to bring them in and support them to stabilize also in life so you do a lot of that so and that's with a salary of let's say 500 dollars a month mm-hmm. and maybe mm-hmm. you're lucky a thousand dollars a month right so you you deplete so much of your limited income so that other people could stabilize, and hopefully you'd you know alleviate yourself from like poverty to like middle class, right? yeah, so you do you do so oh, like my mom's side, everyone is in middle class, they're all fine, right? However, there's a new problem that arises. The new problem is you can afford to take all your kids to school, private school da 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 da. da, da. But after you retire, you find that you don't have enough finances to go through life up to like 90, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so then mm-hmm. your kids have to now start taking care of you. So the, the circle starts going back to square one. And one of the biggest surprises mm-hmm. that people get, if you choose people who choose like a, like a employment route, is they don't factor in the surprise of health problems when you're older. So yeah. you have an issue. You made you know good enough money for a Kenyan for a Kenyan, but after retiring, you start getting these strange diseases. You need this strange surgery, or you need to fly to India, some weird things, which cost ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars. And you find that your life was okay, given like okay, assuming we, that health problem doesn't exist. But if you factor it into the equation, you just crumble, just fall into pieces. Right. and this can also happen when you're still working you're in your 40s or whatever and you find that you you go from middle class to zero in two minutes just because of some surprise yeah. surprise event so now i i'm very observant so i i've, I've observed so much you know we have like a to you see a lot of family drama what's caused this what caused this and i internalize all of it because i i i want um because one person can't live a long enough life to make all possible mistakes and recover from them, right? right. So it's, it's much better if I can learn from other mm-hmm. people's mistakes, analyze, uh, draw a, you know, a common pattern, and then find a solution for mm-hmm. it. So when I did my analysis, I saw that a normal salary, like a big size, so I, I got offers for like $10,000 a month, right? Which is humongous. That's like 23 million shillings in terms of, you're like, you've made it in life. However, right. $10,000 is enough assuming you're not taking care of any extra people and you haven't gotten a health surprise and all those weird right. events haven't happened.
0: Right. So
1: because I saw that all of that isn't enough, I had to calculate how much would be comfortable. Like how much if if I I have to make a good enough income such that I can mm-hmm i can absorb so for me wealth is like a shock absorber which absorb like you can you get those events in life so the more wealthy you are the more you can absorb the shock and retain your your position so i found that i need to make at least 10 million dollars to be able Mm -hmm. to say okay i mean i can comfortably cover as many shocks as possible right now I, I, i can't possibly build you know, I'm, I'm I'm a strange person because I'm also countering. I'm also factoring in an atomic war. You know, a, a nuclear war. <laughs> and if I and, 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 and if that happens, am I able to to charter a plane and fly my family to somewhere some bunker somewhere that I've bought for like I don't know 25 <laughs> million? <laughs> that, that's a that's an extreme uh. example. But I also fact all those things. It's not that I'm paranoid. It's that I know like what does it take to create financial safety right so right. i i talked to i talk to people i admire so i was fortunate to meet um uh, wealth managers one in particular the guy's called hmm. christoph he manages like a billion uh, euros in in france and mm-hmm. i asked him what does um what is what would you consider wealthy like what's the number where if someone is at at that number they would mm-hmm. they would just you know they won't worry about any sort of unless maybe the, the asteroid comes in and crashes earth and of course you can't right. do anything. <laughs> so he put it at a hundred million dollars. If you have a hundred million dollars, I mean you can just go to bed. Only God can can challenge you at that point. <laughs> so so I'm like, okay, hundred million dollars, but it has to be a hundred million dollars diversified in many countries, right. in many types of assets, in may, like extreme diversification. Like to yeah. the T, right? So yeah. I was like, okay, so that's that's a reasonable number to start with. So 100 million. So that's what I'm going for at the moment. Of course, I want to, yeah. So 100 million is like stage one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's layer one. The second layer mm-hmm. is that's a personal layer. So all of my all of my uh, my entire work is is primarily driven by my personal like solutions to my personal problems, right? Hmm. Um, yeah, intrinsically driven. So that's 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 the personal layer but the secondary layer which mm-hmm. is which is my 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 social um, layer is no one would really like no one really cares at least at the moment no one really cares about solving problems of your community right so i noticed certain things uh, in my in my hustle mm-hmm. for scholarships the the common thing was scholarships were given by people were issued by some rich guy to things that are close to him so if if the guy is from is from north carolina he would offer a scholarship just for people in north carolina or from north carolina mm-hmm. right if a guy mm-hmm. um you know um had a certain major he would offer so they're limited to 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 the people who are offering yeah. them the same thing i experienced in in venture in in capital in raising money is this there's a lot of capital but geared towards people who match criteria mm-hmm. of the people offering the capital so for instance mm-hmm. there's a lot of capital for israelis right um, and this capital mm-hmm. for israelis is, is is by israelis living in the us and israelis in israel so if you're an israeli right. i mean you've you've, you've made it because you can always get <laughs> <laughs> you can right. always, yeah you can always get you can always get capital right so um so i said okay so this is so i'm like okay fine fine i'm not going to blame anyone of course in the end if there isn't any tanzanian like tanzania has one billionaire models i admire the guy i love him so much although he hasn't now invested he doesn't do any venture funding you know so i'm like if we don't if we can't do venture funding for our own businesses i mean is it is it fair to ask Mm. someone else to be as passionate about your own community. If you guys aren't passionate about your own communities, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll be the one to to start, right? So I will I will create. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'll say I will create. Uh, right now I'm doing job, uh, you know, solving the unemployment thing. But I will create a, a venture capital firm uh, in the in the future, huh. hopefully near future, where I invest in in companies run by founders and from countries that are overlooked and deemed too risky, right? so companies that are run by founders in 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 africa and you know in like the congo you know like in africa only venture venture funding in africa only goes to south africa kenya and nigeria and maybe sometimes rwanda that's it everyone else is just overlooked and considered risky so i want to be the guy who's like you know what if if i find you if i find that you're self-motivated you you have you're pissed you have rage you you want to yeah you know to get out of this life then i give you funding. Right? And I don't really yeah. care about... At that point, I wouldn't be doing it for making money. I'll just be doing it so that someone knows they were helped. You know? Hmm. It's still business. Yeah. I don't believe in aid. It's still business. But mm-hmm. someone knows that they were valued and 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 helped. Right? Yeah. And and you will find that in those countries, in those countries that are deemed too risky, like, the you know, the RSC, Congo, uh, you know... Uh, uh south sudan and the likes you will find that people will create big huge solutions because those countries have massive problems they create huge solutions that you can capitalize on and you know uh, copy paste to other countries you know so i want to be that guy who does it so but to do it you need a lot of a lot of capital you know and and i know that it's least likely that anyone will back me in this so i have to have funds to inject my own funds Maybe ten years right. after it has proven to be successful, people will be like, you know what? Okay, I'll just add my hundred million there and 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 here, and they're like, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I mean <laughs> I mean I I felt it, man. I felt it. I remember I remember one of the funny uh, funny episodes in 2018. We just started mm-hmm. raising funds for Wazi, and we mm-hmm. pitched to an investor in the UK. Um, he mm-hmm. was part of he was part of the uh, the angel uh, investors in in London, the network, and okay. He was very nice. He was a very nice person. Like, but he said, okay, I'm going to be just frank because, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to be frank. He said, um, <laughs> so based on your, everything is perfect. The business is good. Numbers are good. The finances, everything is good. However, because you're from Africa, we will, like you said, my peers, like this is not me, but it's, it's what will happen. My peers will slash mm. your valuation to half. So just by being African, <laughs> your valuation is slashed by half, right? And then, <laughs> because you guys are African, we have to further slash it by half. <laughs> wow. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. And and he was, and, you know, I don't uh, take things personal. I take it, you know, because he's being nice and he's saying it rather than, you know, uh, you know, saying, oh, yes, yeah, send your thing. And then saying, oh, you didn't meet the criteria. They Just tell me the truth, right? Right. So I was, right. like, I was like, "Ouch! Ouch! Ouch!" Um, um, wow. But I had to take it in, and I had to accept. I'm a very, mm-hmm. I'm a very realistic person. I had to accept that, it is fifty mm-hmm. percent. It is, is, it's, it's the fault of Africans for not creating these types of uh, schemes to fund other African businesses. So mm-hmm. we are we are, we are are 50% to blame, right? For not creating this scheme. That's why I have to fix it by, mm. in the future, creating my venture capital firm and investing in these businesses. And not just Africa, even uh, South America and other places. So I have, yeah. we have to, so it's our fault. 50% is our fault. And 50%, it's the companies abroad, they don't make an effort. Like the venture capitalists abroad or other investors abroad, they don't make enough efforts to want to map The African startup ecosystem and and ways of work because they they, normally they want the African companies to work as the copy and paste as the US companies which is impossible. They want African companies to have the exact same numbers as US companies, not possible. So, for instance, one of the most things I I say like, come on, guys. So in the US, making making ten thousand dollars a month is so easy. Like it's like. It's not brain up. It's like you're making $10,000 as a business. Yeah, we expect you to make $10,000 a month. Now, the way you should think about it is if you make $10,000 a month in the US, you have to divide it by 100. That's how much you will make if you're running a business in Tanzania or Uganda. So that's $100. So a business making $100 a month in Tanzania has the exact same potential. And power and driving power as the business making ten thousand dollars huh. in the U.S. because the businesses yeah. make a lot of money in these developed countries because there's a lot of cash moving around. There's a lot of disposable income, so you have if you have a product, it's easier for people right. to buy it. And you know there's a lot of cash injections from all over the place, so you can and and, and business. You know the, the economy is like the U.S. is what twenty something trillion dollars. So obviously you're going to make twenty ten thousand dollars very fast. Now go back to Tanzania. Where are you going to make that ten thousand dollars if people are earning one hundred dollars a month two hundred dollars a month you know right right. so, so it's not it's not even technically, it's not going to happen you know so i I argue I've argued huh. so much um with with people in the scene that the measures you have put are not reasonable. they don't apply in Africa. Just come to Africa, yeah. learn what's applicable and then adjust everything too much. so you say. You know this is yeah. these are the criteria for his companies these are the criteria for african companies and even in africa you have to change nigeria is not the same as uganda right nigeria is a bit faster mm-hmm. uh, moving and has a slightly bigger economy than uganda so you have to put all of that stuff in consideration right yeah so yeah so at the moment we're being uh, like african status are being drugged um and the, the founders have to persevere a lot the time they have to persevere a lot and it's it's uh, it's like an arm wrestle with time which is mm-hmm. uh, how <laughs> which is how long right. how long can i remain standing before i get a big break a big break can be a customer a big customer or or um external investment so how long can yeah. you remain alive before dying and for instance in yeah. Mauritius in Maur- i'm 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 happy for countries like Mauritius um, so I moved to Mauritius. I left Tanzania, moved to Mauritius because of that. In Tanzania, if I was in Tanzania and started Razi, first of all, I wouldn't have started Razi in Tanzania. I wouldn't have gotten the cash. Two, <laughs> I would have collapsed in the first three months. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. In Mauritius, we were helped. So we got uh, Mauritians are naturally, they're very open-minded people in government. They want change. They want to compete at the international level. So they yeah. they have that as their intrinsic motivation to make um, change and to change policies. So when we, yeah. we when it started was Mauritius. We got pre-incubation. We got some funding, uh, grants, those It was grants. Mm-hmm. Um, then we got incubation. So they have um the Mauritius Research and Innovation Council. So they that uh, council has a scheme called uh, National SME Incubator Scheme, and that scheme provides uh, grants to startups which are incubated, and the grants mm-hmm. goes to you know uh, sustaining you for like twelve months. So we got we got yeah. grants from the, the, the MRIC. Um, our incubator later on, after the grants dried up, our incubator injected um some energy uh, investment there. And huh. after, and then went through acceleration, we got more grants. And then at the end of acceleration, we were lucky enough that, you know, our incubator is, is, um is the, you know, it's like the Africa tech incubator here in Mauritius. And um, it's run, you know, by very, uh, a very passionate um guy who started he's called Michelle the guy started SME for Africa he used to work for Microsoft and he started SME for Africa initiative in Microsoft so he hmm. he is mm-hmm. passionate about building businesses in Africa so he wow. he worked yeah. with the government and um convinced the government to try investing in startups so we were the first Mauritian startup to get uh, institutional investment and the first, the first startup to do pre-incubation, incubation, acceleration, and immediately get institutional investment, and we got that from a private wow. equity firm, which is, uh, which is partly owned by the government. And what if, like, they were, they, they, don't invest. It's a private equity firm. They don't invest in in startups. They, right. they you know, they just invest in in mid-level, mid-sized companies. But they, they made right. it. A, they, they, they tried to say, like, you know what, let's, let make it a try and see how this goes. And that was, that was beautiful. Um. So wow. if more countries did. Um, what Mauritius is doing now, yeah, would 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 go far, you know. And Mauritius is now working with different uh, angels. We're seeing a lot of investors coming from Europe. They come to Mauritius. Mm-hmm. They set up different um like investment vehicles for companies in Mauritius and other parts of Africa. So mm-hmm. I I'm I'm hopeful for the future. I mean, we had to start, so we we suffered, but I'm hopeful yeah. for companies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeful for companies which are coming in the in the years um in the years ahead. That they won't have right. it as difficult as we, as we had. We have, we're we still having that um, at the yeah. moment.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. So, for um, aspiring entrepreneurs, um, either in Africa or in, in the US, we have a similar issue with capital, where if you're in Chicago, New York, or California, capital's a lot easier. If you're anywhere else, uh, there's not much there. So for those people and for entrepreneurs that are in Africa, how do you suggest they get started? Maybe if they they don't have the option of moving to somewhere
1: like Mauritius yes. how do they, how do they get started? Yes yeah so this is very important so um, okay so I, I learned this by doing a mistake So my mistake was I learned a lot of everything startup from what US startups are doing right um, all startups mm-hmm. in develop, mm-hmm. developed countries. And what's common is you have an idea, you build a concept with a business uh, deck, and then you yep. pitch to get funding to, to make that concept a prototype. And then you, mm-hmm. you get more funding to make a prototype MVP, and you get more funding to... So you, you funding drives your, your product development and growth with it. Right. But right. this model is, is a product-based approach, which is build a product first and go to the market. Now, Mm -hmm. this doesn't work for founders who are not in the hotspots because no one will give you funding to build prototypes. And, And, you know, in... In the US, at least you can start a Kickstarter or you know have a page and do crowdfunding. Yeah. In Africa, yeah. none of that exists. There's no crowdfunding, no angel investments because you're living with your parents for earning two hundred dollars a month and all your uncles. Like it doesn't work. Like there's not nothing. Right. So my uh, and we wasted wasted um, two years because of using that product um, uh, hmm. based approach. Now the the yeah. effective approach is a service uh, based approach. Now in essence Hmm. in essence all businesses are service businesses all of them right now because you don't have capital completely forget about the product only focus on the service so what service is the product providing because even Hmm. if someone is buying water the service Mm -hmm. they are buying is quenching their thirst so they're buying a service so if you're like for instance for wazi after failing so much to raise cash for product development, we're like, hold on. I was doing consulting for multinationals and I was getting paid and I didn't have any tech. I didn't have any system. They're just paying me. Why, <laughs> right. why can't I just go back to square one and do the exact same thing? Just the difference is the company. Hmm. So I we, yeah. we, we shelved our products. We changed our pitch because our pitch was, oh, we have this dashboard, it has predictive analytics and that, that. that. That's just nonsense. Go back to square one. We changed our entire pitch, and our pitch was, yeah. we have a network of mappers. So we left the pitch of product. Product mm-hmm. is nonsense. No one cares about mobile applications. There are so many mobile applications out there. The, <laughs> the pitch was, we, what we have is, is a network of mappers. We have a network uh-huh. of mappers who can harvest the data that you need immediately anywhere in Africa. Now, what data do you need? Mm-hmm. I will I will tell my network mappers to do it. So people, that was an easier pitch. And people are like, okay. Yeah. I need this and this. How how we'll present it? We'll present it via uh, an interactive maps on Google Maps. How we'll yeah. harvest it, we'll use Google Sheets, right? How we'll yeah. analyze it, we'll, we'll present the analytics insights on PDF, right? Yeah. The only <laughs> difference and how how are we going to manage members through WhatsApp?
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so very simple. Huh. We have a lot of map. We had a lot of database of mappers um, uh, on sheets. All the on the co- communications happening with WhatsApp. Managing mappers like I have thousands of mappers on my phone. Managing all the mappers yeah. through WhatsApp. They are doing the mapping using Google Sheets um, um, and and uh, Google Sheets mm. and and Google Maps. Clients are getting interactive. A simpler because the one we we're creating was all sophisticated and this and that. No, simpler, simpler map, simpler. Um, uh, it works. The client gets it, you know, because clients are just sales managers and, and business guys. Right. They don't care about analytics. They don't want to see yep. strange numbers and graphs. They just want to see: Is this shop saying my product? Is this school? Does this school has? Uh, does it? Does it have the right. books uh, uh, um, I want to distribute? Um, we <laughs> we we saved uh, people who are tracking uh, ma- uh, medicines like <laughs> uh, paracetamol and the likes in pharmacies, and uh, people who want to see if yep. farmers. Farmers have assets. What I want you to tell me is where where is the farmer? What assets do they have? Et cetera, et cetera. Very simple. Yeah. So we went all the way to that model, which uses free tools, which are available for everyone online, hmm. and we provide the mm-hmm. service, and we made revenue. We made revenue very fast. <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know. So wow. I I, and I I I coach startups, and one of the startups um I'm coaching right now is is a is a car service uh startup. So the guy mm. had drawn a patentable. Design for a strange, you know, mechanical device that will fix your car. Listen, that so he was raising funds. Mm-hmm. He was trying to raise funds so he can he can patent it, he can produce it and sell it. Yeah, no one was giving me him money. I was like, look, look forget about the patentable thing. Just just keep it in the briefcase for the for the moment. Right now, what you're right. selling is a is a is a is a car fixing service. What you're offering yeah. is. You can you can fix like someone if someone gets a you know like a dead battery or whatever, wherever they are, you have a network of mechanics anywhere in Kenya. So he's in Nairobi, Kenya. Anywhere in Nairobi, mm-hmm. notable mechanics, mm-hmm. the person tells you, like communicates with you, my car is broken, this mm-hmm. is my location. You send your your mechanic, they fix the car, payments, the mechanic you, you get 25%, just like Uber and Airbnb. Like. Get the cut business goes. And he's starting, he's already yeah. getting customers. And I was like, how do yeah. you announce, forget about product launch and all those fancy things. Announce through WhatsApp with your network of friends. When you are, t- <laughs> yeah, go to church. Yeah. Uh, after after the church session, say, hey guys, I just wanted to let everyone know, just started a business or a saving cars Anyone with a car, contact me, this is my number. Just do normal business. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. When, you, when you approach it like that, you find that people, actually people don't have um, hmm. People do not have a measure of quality. So, as founders, as founders and and ambitious people, we have this idea of the product has to be perfect. You know, it needs to look like this. Right. You know, user interface. You know, the the colors. You know, we we complicate things. You know, the you know I don't right. know the accuracy rates. We just complicate things. Clients don't yeah. clients don't care about that. What they want is does it solve my problem? Now, with yeah. with time the founder or the, the whoever is running the business has to improve the service delivery and service quality. The service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Service. So improve the service. As you improve service delivery and service quality, the, your customers will be spreading the news th- through word of mouth or social media posts and whatever. And yeah. with that, you will create traction. The, the reason for traction is not to sell to investors. No. The reason for traction is so that you can live a comfortable life. Because maybe at the moment, because I've been right. at moments just eating bread and, and, and tea. <laughs> right. So right. you get from right. a stage of eating bread and tea to eating, you know, different meals a day, right? For your own comfort so that you can sustain your own life and the business is sustainable and with your co-founder and the likes.
0: Right.
1: After you've reached com- comfort, the comfort level, then you go to an investor and you say, look, I have a business. This is the business. Uh, we provide these services to these customers. This is how much mm-hmm. we make per month. Um, and mm-hmm. this is, this is, um, you know, how much profit we, uh, we, we, retain. However, I have designed a product that with this product, mm-hmm. we wouldn't, would cut all these operational operating expenses all the way to, to this level, all the way down. Yeah. But this product, we can't afford to build this product. So we need funding huh. to build the product so that we can, we can optimize our yeah. service and, and, and lower the cost and increase the profits. That pitch yeah. is a it works for an investor and if an invest and even a bank you don't even now need to go to normal investors. even a bank makes huh. it, it makes sense to a bank it makes sense to people yeah. providing loans to microfinance institutions it makes sense oh, to, yeah. to to a wider range of potential investors than saying right. i have a concept in a pitch deck and i need funding for a prototype Yeah
0: and, yeah and, that that makes
1: sense Yeah and by doing that, and by doing that, you remove the most annoying question, <laughs> which is how are you sure this is going to work? It's the most annoying <laughs> question in the world. But right. <laughs> so right. you remove that question because it's already working, right? Yeah, yeah. So for instance, I, I give another example, which is like Grammarly. I use Grammarly. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed. I love Grammarly. Yeah. So Grammarly is is it's basically a, a writing uh, assistant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Before you have the 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 funds to create a sophisticated system like grammarly What grammarly is is just a human being you send them a copy of your writing they manually edit it and send it back so that is that is a service so you start like that you start by and then when you get more orders you hire other people who you've proven that they're smart enough to do Hmm. correct grammar editing and whatever they they edit so so you increase operation manually and then you go to Mm. an investor you're like look I manually um um I manually edit people's writings. You know, I uh, have a team of ten, whatever, whatever. We make this much ma- this much per month, etc. However, I have a, I have a, a concept. This is a concept of a product that would reduce all the manpower and would make the system super automated, fast, reduce the operating cost. Mm-hmm. So I need this much money to do that, to implement. And an investor right. cannot argue the fact that people need writing assistance. Cannot argue right. because you're already doing it. So they can't argue. Right. So then yeah. it's game over. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. There's a, a movement in the US called the indie hacker movement, which uh-huh. does that exactly. Oh, um, so nice. So it's more nice. bootstrap-styled yes. startups. Yes. Um that's that's fascinating. Yes. Um so when you're talking about pre-seed and then the the next funds or the next rounds um what are some of the numbers associated with that because i think that'll be interesting to people in the u.s where here seed stage can be you know 150,000 200,000 dollars so what does that look like in in these markets yes so
1: in these markets it's it's just it's just shameful So the normal numbers, um, a normal investor would invest like at at seed stage. Not in our case it was different. In our case, we were lucky we got a private equity firm after you know three years of hustling. Right. But the normal number for at precede stage is like two thousand hmm. dollars. Two thousand yeah. dollars. If you are slightly lucky, five thousand dollars, that's about it. Yeah, that's yeah. for preseed. So so if you are lucky to get that investor that says um let's say you're, you're at pre-revenue stage um yep. you haven't built a product you have sort of a prototype you have a beautiful business plan you have some pilots run um you know you have pilots you have pilots you have uh, you have a prototype or you have a beautiful deck or both some pilots run to test out the you've done market research you have you have your pilots together you have some you have good you have a goods pack you know like an investor pack is beautiful right mm-hmm. but you don't have any any customers or such you know, you'd expect to get. Most investors give you like two thousand dollars or five thousand um, mm-hmm. dollars. It rarely gets to ten. However, if you're lucky, maybe ten. Uh, in our case, it was uh, it was a much better number. Now, and then after you get five thousand dollars, and five thousand dollars, by the way, it's like it's 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 what you'd expect in a comfortable market like Mauritius, South Africa, Kenya, Rwanda, Nigeria, mm-hmm. Ghana. In places like, um, you know, Uganda, I mean, you should mm-hmm. expect like five hundred dollars or 1000 mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. for $1, So the yeah. deals would be like uh, maybe a thousand dollars for ten percent uh, of your company. Okay. Yeah. So those are the deals, or a thousand dollars for five percent. Um, uh, the same in Tanzania. So in those markets, it's much lower. And then um, you would run for, uh, uh, for say, six months, and then do a seed round. Assuming you you want the startup vibe of of keep of raising money constantly, right, so right. so you you'd raise a seed round and the seed round now at that stage would be something like uh, twenty thousand twenty five thousand dollars, right? That was that would mm-hmm. be considered mm-hmm. seed in in these countries, um, um, and then and then you'd you'd have a longer run after that point to get to to series A, like what much longer run, um. So this yeah. is this is the Come like this is the most. This is the realistic state, right? Yeah. Now, if you're, if yeah. you're, if you're difficult, if you're like stubborn and you're, you're so much of a dreamer, and you go for the big, you, you shoot higher. Um, then you'd be lucky, cause like for us, we had grants worth much. We had like grants, uh, you know, worth more than fifty thousand dollars. And We raised, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a bigger, a bigger seed round, and we benefited. Mm-hmm. So, so like grants and a bunch of other benefits exceeded a hundred thousand. So we had, and then we raised. Proceed after, so we had, because we were difficult, and our dream was like one million. So hundred thousand was like, eh, we've compromised. Um, but yeah. that's still mm-hmm. not reality. Um, most of them, the, the oh. normal reality is like twenty five thousand. That's like seed. You've made it in life, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. Now, there are company, there are companies, if you like, in you know, tier one startups, like you know, the biggest startups, startups who are doing well, not financially, but like the, the most groundbreaking ideas. So those yeah. startups, they get their deals are you know twenty-five thousand, twenty-twenty-five thousand, like lower thousand lower tens of thousands for pre-seed, a mm-hmm.
0: hundred
1: thousand for seed, mm-hmm. and then five hundred thousand for series A or, or if they're lucky, a million. Um, okay. and they mm-hmm. do that through um, institutional investors venture capitalists who are based outside Africa, but they have operations in Africa so we mm, have okay. um so you have venture capitalists who have uh firms in Africa only for scouting <laughs> so they, they scout you know they talk to you they see your numbers da, 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 and then they keep you in the shows until you know you've reached a certain level to get the investment yeah. and then they mostly so you have like mo- a lot of venture capitalists in France who are focused in Francophone Africa and then you have venture capitalists mm. in like Switzerland and, and the UK who are focused um in Anglophone Africa and hmm. and you have venture capitalists in South Africa who are focused in Africa also, and these guys would want you to to of course some of them would want you to relocate to their countries and South Africa and the like. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, or other in in less common uh, less common scenarios, you have capital from Dubai and and Bahrain, uh, for North African countries. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so that's also there. Huh. Um, yeah, so but in in most cases, in most cases, entrepreneurs aren't lucky enough to get to that stage of raising external capital because they die before they get there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they die because of so many reasons. maybe customers are getting enough cu- customer traction to sustain themselves um mm-hmm. or uh, you know not getting enough funding, you know like and the, the, you know the other challenge is like. Most investors would, um, for a five thousand dollar investment, they would expect miracles. You know, like <laughs> 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 they expect massive growth for five thousand dollar investment. I'm like, um, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah. and yeah, so that becomes that becomes a challenge. And and uh, you know, on top of that layer, I would expect, like, because of the nature in the African um, ecosystem and layout, it's unfair to expect a normal African founder. To know, uh, like to know the cup table and the in the projections and all that stuff. Like yeah. it's, it's just unfair. Like where do you think they got right. that from? Like they are not exposed to that world, so it's like they don't even know what Shark Tank is. So I'm like, and even though you know Shark Tank, you don't understand what's going on. Like you don't understand half of the 10s They're not going to watch the big shots and uh, and all those things. You know, it's like to, you, it's unfair yeah. to expect them to have all of that figured out. And they get and it's also unfair to expect them to write contracts you know um, mm, like Where yeah. do you expect they get money to afford a lawyer to you know to make those contracts and it's just too unfair right. you know um, So you huh. find like I've seen most cases where uh, entrepreneurs the founders are penalized like they're like just disregarded. Just because they don't understand terms or they don't know on. Going- like where do you expect yeah. this guy got it from? Like, look at his world. It's like it's like <laughs> right. the first in the family to even have a degree. The first in the family. To- like, come on. Like, give a guy a break. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I I like um I appreciate um initiatives by organizations like Seedstars. So organizations like Seedstars, mm. they they bring in inter- entrepreneurs like you know founders with yeah. potentials, and they train them to to kind of to understand these things and expose them to this world. Um, although I still I still think in the end, there needs to be a simpler way of approaching it, which would get the founder only to focus on the business, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Up to a certain level. And then they would now engage in the admin work and the the finance work mm-hmm. and all the, the quote unquote, boring, boring stuff. Um, <laughs> But huh. yeah, man, yeah, that's the situation. And incubators, yeah. we are lucky in, in the incubation that we went through. Is, is very, very people are very smart. Like um, had Michelle who worked yeah. at Microsoft. He has a deep understanding of tech. Um, he started SME for Africa. He understands business. We had um the 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 other co-founder, Denis. Denis had built and sold businesses in Europe. Um, so we had like the best of the best to train us, right? Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I'm sorry for so many other founders because they don't get this kind of uh mentorship or coaching. Um, so most incubators right. act as a free office spaces, like working spaces, yeah, um, where these guys yeah. hang out, you know, they do work, but look, uh, admin, like covering my TTBs, yeah, thanks, thanks, but it's not, it's not that enough, you know. Um, so you mm-hmm. need to cover my admin, my, my admin bills and mm-hmm. and so forth, but I also need. Like hard um, knowledge. like hard skills on, yeah, on, oh, yeah. on, on finance, on sales, on strategy, on products. You know, um, yeah. and and investors don't offer that, and incubators don't offer that. So people are just left, <laughs> just right. left in, in in the air to hang. Right. Yeah, so that's this, and you don't have. Um, in Mauritius, oh. is slightly improving now. Where in Mauritius you have people mm. who have retired, or you know, people who have retired, they're well off. They they volunteer to to advise startups. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're
1: very lucky. We're very lucky. But in most African countries, right now, I tell people when whenever I get you know in contact with people who, who are retired, I'm like, look, you were the CEO, managing director of this and that. Can can you please just spend some of your time with these young people who are trying to build things they don't even understand up tables and the right. likes and and you know dilution and all that stuff like, can you please educate these guys on, on that angle they don't answer where to get loans they don't understand how to yeah. create a, a compelling business plan and you know a business plan is not a template to take online like there's there, there's that but then there's another mm-hmm. business plan that would be read by like a guy running uh you know like guy who capital markets in a bank like it's very like very yeah. strict and they would penalize you for like a small mistake that you can't even think about so yeah. like if founders would get that guy after he retires, mm-hmm. or even right now in his mm-hmm. spare time, if he would spend some of his time talking to these guys, it would be so much it would be of so much value, you know? Right. So yeah. That's our that's huh. our scene, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Thanks for thanks for sharing some of that. Yeah. I guess now is kind of a good time to transition into the kind of final segment of the show, which is five questions we ask every guest. And you can go as short or as in-depth as you want with these. And the first one is, what is your favorite business book and why?
1: Yes. So my favorite business book, I would say Think and Grow Rich. Uh I know most people would consider it like a self-help or whatever uh, kind of book, but I consider it a business book um, because... Um, that book is is a is like a foundation of any entrepreneurial journey. Uh, for me, it was it was instrumental in structuring the way I approach life, so that it's mm-hmm. it's realistic to reach my goals. So I had I always had mm-hmm. dreams, I always had ambition, I always had all these tools, but I didn't know how to yeah. how to put these tools and resources together to actually move a step ahead mm-hmm. and 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 reach my goals. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. thinking growth has those thirteen uh, thirteen uh, things. And those things are extremely important and always true. They're always true. They've always been mm-hmm. true since that time, and and even tomorrow, um, for an entrepreneur to actually get to where they want to go, right? Yeah. And what makes it valuable is I'm different because I don't necessarily, uh, I don't necessarily connect with people like the current successful entrepreneurs in developed countries. I don't connect with them as much because they didn't face the same, the similar hurdles as we're facing in Africa. So the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs and the like, they they didn't face, they didn't come from the conditions that are existing in Africa now. But the Vanderbilts yeah. and, and the, the Henry Fords, yeah. those guys came from the exact same conditions and they still went all the way to the top. So yeah. for me, those are the only guys I can look at and, and actually accept their lessons. Because mm. they came from true yeah. hardship. Like the Andrew Carnegie's, they came from through poverty, extreme hardship, yeah. and they still made it high. And that book, Think and Grow Rich, is taking lessons from all those guys, the the, the old school, mm. the old school billionaires. And so I love yeah. it. I love it so much. Um. So yeah. So that's why it's my favorite. And I and <laughs> and I tell. Um. The book also says it like you, you shouldn't read it if you don't have a burning desire. If you don't feel like life isn't worth anything without you reaching your dreams, you shouldn't read it. So, so I, Mm -hmm. I still, I say the same thing to, you know, people I coach or youngsters who ask me, Oh, what book to read? Like, yeah. Think and grow rich is number one, but don't go there if you're not extremely desperate. If you're desperate, read that book. It will unlock your life. Just, just like that. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So then the, uh, the second question is what's one hobby that you have that many people might not know about?
1: Music, making music. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's making music. Um, I love I love making music. Um, you know, I use my weekends to make music. Um uh, and you know, most people wouldn't think that I make music if they see me in my businessy uh vibe. Mm-hmm. But I make music. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I make music. Um I I write, but maybe people would expect that I write. Um I love traveling, I love uh-huh. eating. Uh, I love talking to people, you know, like I can hold conversation. I hold conversations for like four hours, six hours. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, so yeah, those are some that's of the great. things, uh, some of the things I enjoy. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Where uh, can people hear some of your music out there that I can link to in the show Oh, notes?
1: Uh, my music, my music. Uh, so you just have to search Joseph Rotakangwa. My music is on Spotify, uh-huh. it's on Apple Music, uh, it's on Deezer, Tidal. You perfect. know, all the places. All, like, you can stream it. You know, in all streaming platforms. that's Right. Just Joseph Rutacanga and and perfect. <laughs> and enjoy. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: Thanks. Great. No problem. Well, then the the third question is, who do you look up to in business?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So on this one, on this one, I have a different approach because I don't have one person who has it all. So I, I separate them per, per segment based on what I admire most about them. So so like I like mm-hmm. Richard Branson because of his he he faces a lot of challenges, He's done a lot, but he retains his youth energy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that comes off. Like imagine it comes off if you're looking at him in a video. It still comes on like wow. And I want yeah. to be like him. Like I for that aspect, I want to have that. I want to have that, that you know you have that good energy positive vibes you have that happy energy regardless of all the challenges and the the stuff that he had to here to overcome and that also mm-hmm. rubs off his you know the people in his organizations and so forth yeah. so, so I like Richard Branson on that he's not a typical CEO who's like you know super strict you know that, blah, <laughs> you know he's, he's very yeah. happy and chill and so that's Richard Branson yeah I like um Elon Musk because he mm-hmm. He must goes for the absolute impossible, impossible, <laughs> like yeah. g- like gigantic impossible dreams. That's where that guy goes for. Yeah. And he bets everything to get there. I'm like, wow, it's yeah, very impressive. And and uh, one of his, uh, I, it's not he, he he refers to someone else, but I just refer to him. So he he's saying of um uh, you know being a founder is like um chewing glass and looking into the abyss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Elon, right.
1: Elon is super inspiring when it comes to risk and sticking to your guts and standing your ground and, mm-hmm. and plowing through extreme hardship with everything that you have. I mean, that guy is yeah. everything. When it comes to that, he's, he's also like the smartest, he's like the best engineer who could do business. Yeah. Like, yeah. like a product person who could do mm-hmm. business. So so that's a very impressive combination. And then yeah. I like uh, I admire Bezos for expansion. So mm. Bezos for me it's expansion. It's um, very good at expansion, mm-hmm. expansion business, expanding business lines, expanding products, um, um, spreading, spreading his growth, his gradual growth. It's just impressive. Um, A yeah. um, uh, patience. Uh, it's like that style of uh, you know your your, your, your your like Elon Musk is like opposite of Elon Musk because Elon Musk is, is just exploding. Uh, and Bezos is mm-hmm. just um, like it's like have you know that thing it's like welding when you're doing welding you know you put like heat and then the the iron or whatever just melts slowly so instead of explosion mm-hmm. he just gradually eats up market share gradually eats up market share and expert yeah. very impressive <laughs> and yeah. also i admire aliko dangote aliko dangote is uh, is a you know mm-hmm. the richest guy in africa big business guy what i like about him is his control so he He retains a lot of control uh, in his organization. And he expands in the most difficult places. So that's Mm. different. So Bezos is good at expansion, but not in the most difficult places. Um, Dangote expands in the most difficult places. The places that everyone runs out, like runs from, like, you know, uh, you mm. know, like the Congo, the, you know Ivory Coast, and you know Tanzania, mm. and and yeah, investments even in Nigeria, as much as it has, you know, some some you know sort of instability. But that guy invests in difficult places and still mm. uh, uh, succeeds uh, in his ventures. You know, with cement and, and other uh, mm-hmm. factories, mm-hmm. Um, and retains a lot of control in his company. That's that's very mm. that's a very important um thing to look at. Um, so his approach yeah. of business is is completely different and and I admire him for that. So yeah, so I would say those are my like four main guys. So you have Branson, uh, yeah. uh, Musk, Bezos, and Dan. Rote.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, wow, that's that's great. Yes. So we can go to the fourth of the final five questions, which is, what is your first memory of
1: money? Oh. Ah, uh, yeah, my first memory of money is um my mom giving me money for offerings you know like to give an offering uh, mm-hmm. on Sundays, mm-hmm. so that's like the first time I saw money, the first time i I had mm-hmm. money for a moment, I you have money at home, then you get in a car, get to charge, then you give it away. I didn't think I didn't I had not thought about it until you asked the question because mm-hmm. um then the like the idea like my mom is a very kind and giving person. And I'm not saying this because she's my yeah. mom. But she's actually <laughs> that, you know. And people, right. people who know right. her would say the exact same thing. And um, the 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 struggle I've had with her when I was a kid growing up was um, shared like, had this thing. Oh, sharing is caring, and I we didn't like it as the kids we're like. Oh no, it's my cake. Oh, it's my things. My cookie. <laughs> and <laughs> and growing up, um, we have come to understand, you know, why sharing uh, makes sense, and that's you actually get yeah. far more fulfilled when you share than when you don't so so that memory of having money and using it to to give away at church is sort of like a you know like a short brief of you know what makes life you earn money yes um you use some yes but then you also share some with others yeah yeah so that's yeah that's my <laughs> that's my memory that's great yeah <laughs>
0: Then the uh, final uh, yeah. question of the final five yeah. is, what is your favorite quote?
1: Oh, oh yeah. Uh, favorite quotes, favorite quotes. Um, it's uh, Henry Ford. That's mm. whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, which is, uh, and th- this quote, it looks slightly, it looks like, oh, you know, those uh, quotes that you put up and that that da social media. However this quote is very deep because mm-hmm. it it sheds it puts light on the fact that everything runs like the source is in our minds which is yeah. which is what mind even in my series of negative um negative to zero the the first thing i talk about is is, is deciding your identity your mind identity now okay i came to mind identity because I saw that every I- other identity I try to assume has severe disadvantages. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like national identities have severe disadvantages. Unless you <laughs> yeah. have a, you have a beautiful passport and you can travel like 170 countries without a visa, then you're fine. <laughs> but if you're <laughs> from if you're from if you're from Yemen, uh, I mean, I mean, your national identity is not going to help much. Uh, religious identities uh, also has its own advantage uh, disadvantages. And so forth. And we, mm-hmm. if we assume identities that are physical, we might, hmm. we might, or emotional, we might end up, those identities might end up being the things that are blocking us from getting from negative to zero. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so what's the easiest way out? The easiest way out is creating a mind, like uh, assuming a mind identity. So there are two, which is one is being a creator, the other one is being a victim. Right. Now, hmm. um, being a creator is, is, Thinking that you can. Being a victim is thinking that you can't. And both are right. So, for instance, it is true that there's no funding in Africa, and because of it, businesses can't easily succeed. It is true. It's true, it's true, it's the fact. However, are you going yeah. to assume that identity or you're going to assume <laughs> the identity that there are, there are 1.2 billion people in Africa? Um, and 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 you know, it's relatively easier to, to run a business costs of running a business are very low therefore you can run extremely lean and sustain long enough until you see profitability. And then you can still mm-hmm. make it and you can capitalize on you can capitalize on unemployment. Yeah. You can capitalize on the fact that companies in, in developed countries want to invest in Africa, but they don't have data. You can use that to capitalize. You're the only one on the ground. They're like, okay, who is in yeah. Africa? We have Joseph. Let's call Joseph. Joseph gives us the data. So then being in Africa becomes an advantage. But that's mm-hmm. because I have picked one of the two identities right right are you going to think and i see this for everyone like people say oh you know yeah i'm black so things are hard i'm like look <laughs> it's for me i never i never see it as a problem. like look you choose people people in their own uh in their own countries because you can say um i'm a christian in a in a um islamic republic so therefore i'm discriminated against but do you know that christians in christian countries are still discriminated against People say really? I am, I am, I am black in a, in am a, a black minority in another country. Do you know, like for instance, in my case, I've been like the, the, discrimin- the discrimination I've faced was in my own country in Tanzania, and it was mm-hmm. just because of yeah. um, the the, uh, the the financial reasons. Not has nothing to do with with um, the color of the skin. So that's just so saying, uh, yeah. you know, saying uh, the system, you know, the government is corrupt. Which government isn't, right? And, <laughs> True. and and are you going to say because the government is corrupt so what do you, you, you live in poverty until you die are you going to just give up and, and die is it and we, in whose advantage will it be if you say I'm being suppressed and wait to die and if you say I can I'm not suppressed and I suppression whether suppression or not I don't care I will get to my dreams and then get there whose advantage is it you know Mm. Um the the, the people yeah. we say africans oh african governments they can't grow up because people you know leaders are corrupt so leadership needs to change Look are you going to wait until those presidents die and those guys don't die like they they will live until like <laughs> <laughs> Right <laughs> are you right. going to wait until they're 98 and die <laughs> so by that time you're 50 and broke <laughs> you know So right. you you right. should think that you can because if you think you can't it's true it's true that they're corrupt it's true that you are being suppressed it's true that you're at yeah. a disadvantage society wise. All of that is true. And it's true yeah. that you can get up, you can you can capitalize on being disadvantaged. It's true that you have resources. It's true that you can run lean. Because you've lived in poverty, you are capable of living at two dollars a day, one dollar a day, because you have experience. That's an advantage. Just mm-hmm. flip it. So all of that is also true. So what truth do you want to assume? Right? Yeah. So I assume I assume the the latter, which is the, the the power position I want to I want to always assume the position of power um, and if you do that your entire life um, just opens up you know before you and, and you grow up you just lift right. yourself up so that's why I love that quote and it means a lot to me um, yeah
0: wow that's great well this this has been a lot of fun um, I enjoy this hopefully we'll be able to have a round two in the future yes, yes. Um, so, where can the audience go to learn a little bit more about you?
1: Um, so they can find me on my—I uh, don't know, let me think—LinkedIn. Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn, Joseph Rutakangwa. I'm on Twitter. Okay. It's at J Rutakangwa. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's at J I'm on Facebook. It's just Joseph Rutakangwa. I have a Facebook page there. Perfect. I'm also on YouTube. I talk a lot on YouTube. So I have a lot of YouTube videos Great. on talking. So you can find me on YouTube, yeah. Joseph Utakangwa. Um, yeah, so on YouTube, I post a lot of videos. I talk about, you know, one wide range of, range of things and so forth. Yeah. So, yes, they can find me in all those places. And let's connect Perfect. and yeah, move move life forward. Yeah,
0: that's great. We'll we'll link to all of that in the show notes Excellent. so people can find you easily. Yes. Uh, but this has been great. I really appreciate Thank you so taking much. the time today. Uh, yes. It's been Great to learn about your background and the startup scene, learn yes. more about that. Yes. Um, yeah. So thanks. You enjoy the rest of your yes. day.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for, for having this kind of uh, podcast and shedding light on on what's happening in, in, in Africa. And uh, thank you so much for, for your time. I enjoyed it so much. Um, yeah. And, and I hope we talk we talk again in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. As always, thank you for joining in our conversation. If you have any recommendations on guests for the show or any comments on this episode, or if you would like to be on the show yourself, email me at podcast at studentsofbusiness.com. To get our show notes and to be alerted on the release of new episodes, hit that subscribe or follow button in your favorite podcast player or go to developingfounders.com and subscribe to our email list. Thanks for joining, and I'll see you next week.